enter the bizarre world of the psychosexual mind. From Carlo Patti, who brought you Dr. Zhivago, now... Torso. 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 It saturates the screen with terror. Torso. Rated R. for the gore in the in the movies that we watch but the stuff on these I, I think it's because you're guaranteed they're going to solve it half an hour from then yeah so it's kind of reassuring it's like oh we found a mummified kid in a storage tub under a house here you go and i'm like yeah there's nothing that horrible in anything we watch <laughs> well that's not true um well let's intro this and talk about some some horror <sighs> Listeners, you're listening to another exciting episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. We are a podcast where we three friends get together and talk about a horror movie, which we will spoil. And we talk about Recently Watched, which we try not to spoil. And we're not professional critics, duh. We thank the Boonrays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. You can find their music on Apple Music or Amazon, where you could buy it digitally, or say hello to them on Facebook, where they are the Moon Dash Rays. Um, we are your hosts. I'm Richard. I'm here with Jolian. Hello. And Will. Hello. Guys, torso. We'll get to that. But recently watched. Did you see anything since uh, last time? Yeah, I got a couple. All right, Will, kick it. Uh, I started off with watching Suicide Squad 2. Ooh. Birds of Prey. Also known as Suicide Squad. <laughs> the good one. <laughs> oh, it's actually a good movie with Harley Quinn in it. Yes. Oh. Um, James Gunn directed this one. Okay. And it's pretty good. Wow. It kept me entertained. Um, it wasn't super annoying, like uh, a bunch of fanboy service. I don't read a lot of DC comics, so sometimes they are uh, real foreign to me. Because oh, yeah. they'll show somebody, you're like, I don't know, I don't know that guy's first name, mm-hmm. Dwayne Dubois or something. Who's that supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, I find that with a lot of the comics. Yeah. It's like, you're supposed to be on first name basis yeah. with everybody. Ooh, it's, uh, I find DC comics particularly hard yeah. to follow sometimes. Um, anyway, funny, really bloody. Um, they definitely lean hard into the R rating. Is it one of those like callous comedies like the the um, what was the hit the which one? The Hit Girl movies. Um, oh, Kick-Ass? Kick-Ass, yeah. Um, oh. Where it's like, it's like, oh, someone's just died horribly, ha-ha. No, no. It, it's a lot closer to uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, okay. uh, group of misfits. 
there's a there's a fair amount of blood um, because it's the Suicide Squad, and at least in the comics, somebody always gets killed. Um, uh, that was always part of the fun is to try to figure out who's gonna who's gonna get it. Um, but uh, pretty entertaining. Um, good special effects. I didn't have to pay for it. Well, I pay for HBO, but yeah. yeah. It's included. It's included, so they released it there. Um, I feel a little sad for Viola Davis. She plays Amanda Waller because she's so much better than anything in this movie. <laughs> Not that the movie's bad at all. I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, John Cena's great. He plays Peacemaker. Um, they have a very Jack Kirby looking costume on him that's they didn't try to hide the yeah. the goofiness I was just reading about the guy who created Peacemaker because his birthday was the anniversary of his birthday was a few days ago okay oh, as we record this would be a couple of weeks ago yeah um, but yeah it's an interesting but, guy yeah so it's uh, it's brightly colored it's interesting yeah um, but yeah, Viola Davis is such a good actress, and and you feel a little bad. Although I'm sure she got paid plenty for this, <laughs> so I can't feel that bad for her. Yeah, people should never feel sorry for wealthy actors unless they're being mistreated. They have some great characters. Uh, I mentioned Peacemaker. Uh, Idris Elba is Bloodsport. Nice. I don't think they use his name. I don't know who that character was. Evidently, he's a Superman, Superman villain. Okay. Um, he, his backstory is like his dad trained him to be an expert with any weapon, blah, blah, blah. And then he meets Peacemaker, and they give the exact same background. And he's like, are you fucking with me? You just gave him my origin. <laughs> um... Uh, like I said, John Cena's really good. He's a pretty good straight man. I, I, good. Uh, I'm warming up to him. Um, I think he looks weird, though. Um, and uh, King Shark's a great character, voiced by Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> I don't think you'd guess that, though, if you didn't see the credits. Um, yeah, all in all, Harley Quinn wasn't too bad. I enjoyed her parts. Um, yeah. I give it a recommend. Cool. Then I watched something called The Hunt, which oh yeah That's was last year, the year before. Mm -hmm. um, it was pulled because a bunch of uh, right wing people were upset because the premise is that left wingers get together every year and play the most dangerous game, mm -hmm. lawn darts. No, I mean <laughs> hunting humans. Uh, you laugh, but I've got a box of lawn darts in the garage. <laughs> and no lawn. How ironic. Oh, yeah. You don't have a lawn. That's true. I don't. I have a hill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hill darts. Um, <laughs> that I, all, the, all those uh, missing Republican cases in the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. So um, if you've seen any most dangerous game, you know yeah. where this is going. Um. I was I was entertained. It wants to be a satire, though. I think it wants to say something. I'm not really sure that it does. Hmm. 
outside of maybe we can drive each other crazy. That's a given. Um, I just didn't buy the premise that the left wing be the ones who are hunting the... Well, they, they do... See, I didn't buy the premise either, but they do address that. They do come up with a reason. Whether or not that reason is believable so it's a is whole, up to the viewer. It's a whole flip the script thing. Sort of. Um, it has that annoying mid-break... Uh, where they jump back in time They're like a year ago uh. and then you find out why something's happening i did not like the open i felt like the open revealed way too much i mean you know it's going to be a most dangerous game movie but they start off with some people texting back and forth which is always exciting start your movie with somebody texting that's what i want to see i want to murder these people now myself. and then they cut to some rich people on a plane Ugh. flying first class and they're being rich assholes kill them and somebody emerges from the back of the plane or the front i, I suppose it must be the back and he's dazed and he's wearing a jean jacket obviously not a rich person and he's like, what's going on? Help me, help me. And, and they proceed to kill him. I felt like that just kind of spoiled it, opening like that. Um, right after that, you get a, a shot of a woman waking up in a field, and she has a bridle in her mouth, like a bit in her mouth that she can't take off. I thought that would have been a better opening, because mm. you don't know what's going on. Yeah. You wake up with her. She doesn't know what's going on. She sees another woman trying to get the the bit off and then um she sees some other people in the field and there's a box in the field so one guy runs out there and there's a crowbar and he starts <clears> to open it and everybody else is like it's a trap and they smartly run away it's not a trap it's a box full of guns oh. so everybody arms themselves um don't get attached to any characters in this movie <laughs> which okay. i did like uh you have several people you go through where you're like, this is our protagonist. Nope. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, um, it turns out that the, the lead is uh, much like in the movie we watched, uh, uh, You're Next. Yeah. Um, she's very capable. So it's kind of a nice twist, but at the same time, you're like, well, she's a little too good at everything. Um, that said, I kind of liked her character. Um, they ask her at one point, like, why don't you just, why are you, you know, fighting back? Why don't you just run away? She's like, uh, I work as a, at a car rental place and, and most days and I'm, and she makes this crazy face, but I can't, and she makes a crazy face to any of the customers, so I hold it in. <laughs> now. Now I can... And she makes a crazy face again. <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay, so... Um, Does it have anything in common with The Purge? Um, it's not that serious. It's okay. not earnest. Like The Purge is, you know, oh my god, this, what if this really happened? Right. This is like... Yeah, this is... This is goofy fun. Some really gory kills, um, if you're into that sort of thing. Like I said, don't get attached to any of the characters. Mm -hmm. um, I recommend it. Don't. I think if you went in thinking, oh, this is going to be a smart satire, 
you'd be really disappointed. Mm-hmm. Like if you just go in going, this is a most dangerous game movie. Right. You know, it's whatever that Ice T movie where he's running from people on an ATV, or you know, uh, uh, Bloodlust from mm-hmm. that you mentioned, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah, if you go in with that and you're just like, okay, I'm gonna watch somebody get revenge on the killers. It's, it's entertaining. Is this another, uh, HBO thing? Uh, yeah, I watched it on HBO. Um, and then uh, Torso. That wraps it up for me. I watched Torso. Cool. Jolene, you want to go next? Uh, all right. I watched uh, another uh, Paul Nashi uh, movie uh, called Hunchback of the Morgue <laughs> from 1973. Uh, this is one of the films he did with uh, Javier Aguirre. Um, in this one... Um, Nashi, a.k.a. Jacinto Molina, plays a Goto, um, and uh, Alberto Dalbes plays um, Dr. Orla, and Dr. Orla is creating artificial life based on primordial ooze, <laughs> and uh, for which he needs Goto to procure bodies, and uh, so they do lots of body snatching and, and fresher. Um <laughs> Uh, Goto is in it. He's he's playing this like supposed to be the sympathetic hunchback character. Uh, he's he's really obsessed with um, because the doctors promised that he can bring back his girlfriend mm. who has died of TB. Yeah, his girlfriend, well, she's not really a girlfriend. She's uh, she's a woman and also who's like the one person in town who's sympathetic towards him. Oh. You know, everyone else throws rocks at him. Um, so he's in it, and uh, uh, and he's, he's like murdering people left and right. And um, uh, there's there's lots of there's gore in it. Uh, there's actual rat burning mm. um, in a couple of scenes. Uh, uh, and and this being a Paul Nashi movie, he gets to make love to the the best looking woman in the cast, uh, <laughs> as usual, who's played by Rosanna Yanni. Uh, it's very uh, Grandguignol. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, it delivers from what you'd expect from something called Hunchback of the Morgue. <laughs> right. Um, the Eighth Night from this year. Uh, Korean film, Kim Tae Hyung. Um, this is about an ex exorcist who's trying to prevent the meeting of two parts of a demon. Um, back in the day, Buddha stop this demon which can't be killed by dividing up its body and he put one eyeball out in the desert to the west and one eyeball out in the mountains to the east and they should never be brought back together again mm. um, but of course that's what's about to happen and uh, it's got a very complex mythology um, it's got it starts off with an expo dump it continues with flashbacks and more expo dumps Ooh. Um, that really uh, hampers it um, and it's quite coy about showing the horror of it like, it's supposed to be this like uh, terrible demons going to come back to the world and cause all but when actual, actual horrible things happen it doesn't really show it so mm. it doesn't keep the stakes high uh, it's too many endings Ooh. Um, so you mean it keeps acting like it's ending and then it doesn't yeah there's like a climax and then there's like another scene and another scene uh, movies 
just need to not do that. Yeah, sometimes it works, and, and unfortunately it's done too many times. Um, but it's got a good cast, and the effects are good, and there's some, like, uh, the demon manifestations when it's, like, possessing people that are actually stuff I've not seen before. They're quite startling. Oh, nice. Um, anyway, that's the eighth night. Uh, night without a K. Oh, okay. Because uh, one of the things about this complicated mythology is that the demon can't just reincarnate into a human body, and that's it. It has to go through several people over the course of <laughs> several days. <laughs> it's needless. All these place. rules. Yeah. And then the other th- film I watched was uh, an anime from 1969 called The Flying Ghost Ship. Uh, it's directed by Hiroshi Ikeda. Uh, I really wanted to see this because one of the animators on it is uh, Hayao Miyazaki before oh, really? he got to direct himself. No kidding. And uh, the creator of it is Shotaro Ishinomori, who's uh, he's like a major force in uh, Japanese fantasy, like superheroes especially. Hmm. Um, he, he, he came up with like Kaida and Kamen Rider and Robot Detective and Cyborg 009 and uh, the whole Sentai franchise is okay. something he started. Um and this 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 one is like a little over an hour long, and it uh, it's based on a manga, and it really zips through the story. So uh, um, this is the hero of it goes through several really traumatic events in the course of one day. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's kind of a, uh, it starts off as like this ghost ship, but it, it rapidly becomes this kind of Jules Verne sort of adventure. Mm. Uh, yeah, very fun. Is that it? All right. Well, let's see. I watched um, a short documentary called The Black Kung Fu Experience. And this is something that uh, really kind of is a bit of a blind spot for me because I would see black kung fu stars occasionally pop up in these movies from the late 60s and early 70s. This is a documentary that talks about... um, Ron Van Cleef and Dennis Brown and guys like that. Jim Kelly. Yeah. And you get, it's great because it, it focuses on mainly four of them. Uh, and, you know, the late Jim Kelly, they weren't able to, you know, interview him. So they do talk about him. But uh, basically, it, you get an hour of talking about, like, how do they get there? What happened? Like, how do they even find out about Kung Fu and learn it? and do it and then end up in the movies and so it's really a cool like uh, you know each one of their each one of their voyages was a little different but had a lot in common and it's like then you move then you move to Hong Kong and you start making these movies and it doesn't matter if you speak any Chinese or the Chinese speak any English you you know what they're telling you what to do mm-hmm. so uh, really neat as uh, is a lot of fun um, and you know you you do hear about the struggles and and the challenges that some of these guys dealt with even after f- some fame and a little bit of fortune but it, the runtime is just under an hour so it's an easy watch uh i found myself wishing it was longer and covered more mm-hmm. um people who watched this might also have watched that uh, kind of features in you know uh amazon uh amazon prime and it's like I think I actually started with um, Tear the Roof Off, the untold story of uh, Parliament Funkadelic. Oh, okay. 
And I think that's what led me to the Black Kung Fu experience, not vice versa. But I did watch this one, Tear the Roof Off. Um, we know that George Clinton was kind of the mastermind behind Parliament Funkadelic. Not necessarily a good dude. Uh, I have a story about when I met him in a safe way in Spokane, Washington, the day where I was going to go see him at the show that night, and the show was incredible. And um, he, he apparently didn't treat his bandmates very well as far as, you know, he got all the money and they got little bags of drugs here and there and a $20 bill here, here and there. Uh when you look at a picture of Parliament, you're like, there's 16, 18 people in this picture. And it's not always the same people from one mm-hmm. from one show to the next. <laughs> I remember, like, and I'll just tell you this from personal experience, like, I'm watching Parliament, or it was called the P-Funk All-Stars. I think there's maybe some legality there. Um, I'm watching the show, and it's like half an hour in. I'm like, where the hell's George Clinton? And then he just kind of comes out, like, flapping his arms like a bird kind of walking low to the ground and he's got some kind of white fringe jacket on and he was high as a kite when i saw him about one in the afternoon and so here we are at like you know 10 o'clock at night he's definitely still high or i was gonna say i don't think george clinton's never not high (laughs) i don't think he came down since the first time he tried whatever the hell he prefers to use uh so you're watching like these people playing on stage and there's a whole mess of people up there there's well over a dozen people playing and i'm like where the hell is he he finally comes out like got up from his chair in the dressing room and went i think there's a show i probably should go out and perform in it uh and you think okay how long is this show gonna go is there is there gonna be an end to this or did i die on the way here this is uh, my afterlife was watching Parliament for eternity, <laughs> but because uh, you can tag out and tag back in if there's 17 musicians on stage, it's like, oh, you play bass also? Hey, I'm gonna go back and uh, eat some food. Uh, yeah, you keep this baseline going. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. You know, so two or three people leave, two or three come out. It just keeps going that way forever. I think either you love Parliament or P Funk All Stars so much that you just stay. Or you finally at some point say, I got other stuff in my life <laughs> I have to go do. Um, great show. I'm not saying it wasn't. It just was not going to end. Yeah, I heard him on the radio just recently. Um, he could make words? It was his birthday. He was talking about how, uh, unfortunately, they weren't real popular, but with the people they were popular with were they were really into it. You yeah. Know, like, there's there's a couple other bands, the Grateful Dead. <laughs> right. And I don't remember what else he mentioned, but, and then, you know, Funkadelic. And those people would do anything for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you've got their, you've got grandparents with their kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, and they're all watching Funkadelic. Oh, man. Yeah, you... If you dig into their music a bit, it it's great. It's so fun to listen to, and uh, yeah, I think Funkadelic's the only ones that actually bought albums of. Yeah, it, it. What's drag about this whole thing is you know hearing that people got the short end of the stick, you know the musicians. But uh, same with the James Brown's band. 
Oh, yeah, that's not Oh, yeah, yeah, he was terrible to his band members. And, you know, sometimes musicians are just tyrants like that, or just inconsiderate megalomaniacs, and that's how they... That's how they make the thing they make. and Yeah, you know, Paul McCartney making them record Maxwell's Silver Hammer like 400 times till they got <laughs> it right. It's wrong, it's all wrong. <laughs> I can imagine that. It's not a great song either. I mean, I could understand if they had, you know, spent 400 takes on Day in the Life or something, but yeah. Maxwell's Silver Hammer, really? I never liked that song either. No, it's not very good. Yeah, maybe. I only like it because it's a little dark, but it's upbeat. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, this is about a guy killing people with a hammer. But it sounds so cheery. Mm-hmm. What's yeah. going on in Paul's head? Yeah, I had no idea what it was about when I was a kid. No, you don't. As a kid, you're just totally like, Maxwell Silverhammer <laughs> came down on her head. You're like, well, huh? Oh, I think they're killing people. <laughs> it's like uh, Norwegian wood. And he lights the place on fire at the end. <laughs> I, I better not tell that story. Oh. <laughs> It's like the Vic Morrow joke. I'm not telling it. Um, and then uh, just last night, and I'm not sure I'm, I really processed this one properly, but uh, Infinite is a brand new one. Um, it's a 2021 release, uh, science fiction action film. Uh, this has uh, Marky Mark in it, and uh, Jason Manzoukas is somebody who I really like. Oh, yeah, he's great. <laughs> yeah, he's always funny. I, I wanted him to have more of a part in the movie. But basically, it's about this guy who it, it takes place sometime in the future. Um, but it's about a guy who thinks he's schizophrenic, but it turns out that he's actually just a reincarnate of somebody who's a real warrior type of dude. And he has all this knowledge and all these all these skills that he shouldn't possess from not having ever been taught certain things for example forging a uh, samurai sword you know he knows what he's doing he just doesn't know why he knows what he's doing and um kind of the focus of uh, of kicking the plot off is that you meet him he's in a job interview he blows the interview because he can't keep his cool when someone calls him out for having not kept his cool in the past that was six years ago but still this guy is like yeah you don't get the job and he kind of flips out a little bit and says things he shouldn't say. Are you sure that's Marky Mark? Yeah, pretty sure. Does it sound familiar? It's a, based on a story by Todd Stein. Okay. Um, anyway, it uh, it's uh, from the uh, Reincarna- Reincarnationist Papers, which was a 2009 novel. Hmm. Uh, basically, this one uh, has the character... Um, in his uh, personal time trying to figure out what he's going to do because he needs work but he forges this sword and goes to this local drug dealer to trade it for antipsychotic pills that he needs or he's going to really lose it so he thinks and at some point in uh, things going sideways he does meet the people who believe they know who, who they believe he is who they think he is and so now he's in with a group of people who are like, no, you're reincarnated from this great warrior dude, and uh, we need to stop this bad guy from uh, 
this nihilist bad guy wants to stop. I know this sounds like the Big Lebowski all of a sudden. I was going to say, <laughs> can there only be one? Uh, it kind of sounds like the Highlander movie, too. It sounds like um, the Highlander. So if you had the best elements of the Big Lebowski and Highlander, <laughs> hear me out, guys. <laughs> um, this one's an action movie, and it's it's a lot of fun to watch, and there's a lot of crazy stuff. So much of it's clearly CGI, but not... It clearly could only be done with CGI, I should say. But it, it looks pretty good, you know. Yeah. Uh, I would say, you know, if you like that kind of fast-moving, crazy stuff where everything blows up and tumbles and flies and everyone has to fight everyone else, it's one of those movies. I usually don't go for those, but I had fun with this one. Uh, that is my recently watched. And then uh, Torso. It, it was no beach girls uh, <laughs> i'm sorry the monster party beach <laughs> monsters of party beach but infinite was okay um but yeah torso torso, torso. uh so will you chose this one i picked this one uh i picked this one because i'm lazy <laughs> you're lazy you you watched it it wasn't that great i watched it and i was like mm, yeah that's a good enough choice i don't want to pick another movie yeah yeah kind of go through shutter there's just so many you're just it's hard to choose yeah this isn't none enough. of them sound real appealing none of them sound enough like highlander yeah. Uh, I almost picked Parallel, but I'm not sure that it's enough of a horror movie. Uh, it's a little more sci-fi. Well, whatever. Are the listeners going to really judge us on that? Yeah, probably not. Okay. Um, but anyway, Torso. 1973? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Now, Julian, are you more familiar with this director? Sergio Martino. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little about him uh, as a director? Uh, yeah, I, I like him. He directed uh, uh, so, so my favorite Giallo, uh, Gialli, I should say, <laughs> are uh, Mario Bava, The Godfather. You know, yeah, he invented the what we think of as Giallo. Yeah, he defined it. Then you have Dario Argento, who, who took it to a, another level. Yeah, level or extreme. Um, he had the first big hit in the, the genre with Bird with the Crystal Plumage that yeah. made it, and that kicked off the boom. And then uh, uh, Sergio Martino is my third favorite jelly yeah. director. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so he did, uh, I think he did, yeah, he did The Strange Advice of Mrs. Ward. Yes. I love that one. And uh, Case of the Scorpion's Tail, which is, is my favorite one of his. I don't know if I've seen well. that one. That's a good one. Um, but Torso, um, yeah, the first time I saw this, because it has this, it's got that title, yes. which is the US title. Right. And, and uh, you know, you've, you've, you've seen the US TV trailer where it's the Torso. And yes. uh, you think this is going to be really intense and really gory. And you you watch it and it's not. Yeah. Um, it has so, a very different pace than the trailer would lead you to believe. Yeah, this one it, it promises to be like this re- really brutal, gory, yeah, proto slasher movie, um, but uh, it's not. Um, yeah, and Marrow Barber did much stronger stuff than this. 
in terms of gore. Yeah, I was a little surprised because I was expecting, you know, Maniac Cop or something that's just like, ooh, I don't know if I can watch this, but uh, yeah. uh, should I be watching this? <laughs> but yeah, so the first time I saw it, it was like, hmm, that's okay. Um, but then uh, I, I've watched it two or three times, and uh, uh, I think the last half hour is terrific. Yeah. Um, the the first hour I, I enjoy more now. It's got you know beautiful locations, and uh, I, the women in it are just uh, stunning. They yes. really are. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's got an intriguing mystery. The the script holds up. It's quite good. Uh, you know, in terms of putting together a. Uh, oh, yeah. A clock piece, you know, everything yeah. comes together and works. It's uh, it's one of the more logical, yeah. worked out. Journeys. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them just pull something out of thin air <laughs> towards the end. Yeah, but this one, it, it like uh, it makes sense. It sets things up. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I like this one. Shall I attempt the Italian uh, title of this? Uh, it is uh, I Corpi Presentano Tracce di Violenza Canale. Yes, the, the body has traces of carnal violence. That's yeah. a much better title. And yeah. Carnal Violence is one of the Western release titles. Okay, so they shortened it up still. Torso. 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 Yeah. I prefer my Gialli to have a long yes. kind of. <laughs> meandering titles yeah colors animals something like (laughs) that yeah yeah it's it's, again the bucket full of ping pong balls pick three to five of them out yeah exactly there's your title yeah like that um that other one i watched uh, the other week um which is like the italian title is like the the uh the red cat and the glass labyrinth and the u.s title is eyeball Uh, eyeball eyeball yeah Yeah. that's so boring yeah it's like uh, we we need it, we need you to simplify it for us. <laughs> so um, there's something weird about this era, uh, as far as fashion is concerned. Okay, like the guys are trying to be prettier than the women. I think at this point. Yeah, they got their scarves. And yeah, they're yeah. It's a it's a little foppish, but uh, maybe there's a high fashion thing happening at the time. Uh, I don't think I don't think men outside of Hollywood were trying to do the ascots and scarves thing in the U.S., but maybe it was something to do with Rome. I don't know. We've got some very good-looking guys in there. You've got John Richardson. Yeah. Um, you've got uh, Luke Miranda. You've got David Copperfield's hair. Yeah. Yeah, lots of big hair. <laughs> right. Lots of big hair. Yeah. How about the uh, the motorcycle accident? near the beginning oh yeah i do not think that was planned <laughs> it did seem like it would, i like, watched it a couple times like i do not think that actor knew i think that he was supposed to rack because the script kind of goes that way but i think he hit that pothole dune whatever and went head over yeah heels yeah. i've seen enough italian thrillers where they just do demented oh stunts. yeah yeah I think they planned it. Yeah, the regard for safety didn't seem to be very high. Maybe that's <laughs> it. Maybe they planned it, but they weren't like real concerned. Like, how is that going to really work? Like, go hit that, fly over the handlebars. It'd be great. Maybe everyone else great planned shot. it, but he, he was the last to know. He may have been too. Yeah, <laughs> he, you know. he knew at the moment he hit that pothole. <laughs> drive this fast and hit that spot. That's what yeah. we're going to do. Okay. Yeah. You'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, you'll be okay or you won't. Yeah, and you're and you you know your your corpse may have traces of kernel violence, <laughs> depending on how the motorcycle lands on you. Oh yeah, that was yeah. great. Um, I always like when when uh, when we have Italian movies where there's any sort of a lecture or uh, a university situation. Uh, this professor, when we first start to meet some of the characters by seeing them, uh, this professor is just sort of so dismissive and, and just kind of rude <laughs> about art history. And, uh, well, that particular artist, at yeah, least. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. Uh, Perugina. Yeah. Um, th- so this was filmed uh, in his hometown. Uh, that's his nickname because he's from that town. Okay. Okay. Uh, Pietro Vanucci. Um, he he was the uh, teacher of Raphael. Well, yeah, oh. Raphael was one of his students. Oh wow! So he like he was one of the people who kicked off the High Renaissance. Oh yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, the painting they're talking about is Saint Sebastian. Mm-hmm. And he he did like at least three of paintings of Saint Sebastian. Hmm. Yeah. It it's really weird that uh, that that era in uh, oil painting was just these guys were prolific I mean I, I, I get I feel like such an asshole for this but when I go into museums I start to get bored after a while like oh here's another painting of some dude rolling his <laughs> eyes and someone's feeding someone grapes Jesus how many yeah, of these did they our college days when, uh, <laughs> when we do photos we just like call something if you like uh, indie band and we do like indie band pose or <laughs> right. uh, one of them was a uh, martyr and we do a uh, martyr poses from the various <laughs> paintings uh, yeah there's so Saint Sebastian he's always depicted tied to a tied tree to with in him mm-hmm. yeah. that's not how he died <laughs> he was actually tied to a tree and shot with arrows mm-hmm. but he did he survived it they they left his body and uh, but he uh, uh, and then some woman came along and found that he was still alive and, and rescued like, him. Helped, helped him. But then he went back to the guy who'd condemned him to death and he yelled at him for all the terrible things he was doing to Christians. So the guy had him clubbed to death and thrown in a sewer. Oh. So that's how he actually died. And that's not depicted. I've not, never seen a painting of the no, actual Martin no. Sebastian. <laughs> that's insane. So if he just kept his mouth shut and moved on he would have been okay yeah maybe right. well, well at least he did it, something right yeah, he didn't he wouldn't be able to drink any liquids but r- right well he didn't end up in sewer paintings he ended up in you know the arrows paintings interesting well i didn't i didn't um uh read them but i had closed captioning on for this movie and it's subtitled they weren't the same no, the the lecture at the beginning. That's all I watched because they were overlapping each other, so you can't read them. Right, but bits you'd pick out. You're like, no, that's not what the subtitle's saying. He's mm. talking about something completely different, and they had students talking, mm-hmm. like interjected, interjecting into. It, but yeah. it wasn't. It hadn't happened yet. It was. Mm-hmm. It was weird. So. <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot of weird choices made with subtitling a movie. And uh, it's like, I understand that there's not always the same words in different languages or the same meanings that come across, but sometimes it's just not even close. Yeah. It's like they didn't even attempt it. 
Now, the other thing that happened with this movie was uh, when it was released in English-speaking countries, especially in the UK, it was cut heavily. Oh, oh so I can there, imagine. There's no complete dub uh, of this movie. Oh, okay. So even if you watch the dub versions on the on the latest releases, there's there's passages where they just have Italian. Mm. They're just always missing something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine this movie was chopped up quite a bit. Well, this um, this movie ends up uh, sort of a manhunt movie in a way, and uh, obviously a murder mystery sort of throughout. And we get the uh, the wardrobe uh, conspicuous uh, scarf thing as mm. as sort of a uh, something to follow, something to try to use as a clue, and that does and doesn't work depending on how you look at it. Um, but really, we're just following beautiful university students as they frolic and um, go to a country home and hang out and do the things they do. And they, to different extents, uh, either hang out or not hang out with guys. They talk about the place before they go there like it's tiny. Yeah. They talk about it like it's <clears throat> tiny and it's out in the woods. Yeah, and then they get there, and it's this giant villa yeah. that's overlooking the city. Mm-hmm. Not quite how you sold it, <laughs> right? Yeah, the Villa Aselli. It's a yeah. beautiful place. It really was. Uh, yeah, complete with J and B bottles. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. There's, there's even a J and B ashtray at one point. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice the J and B ashtray. It's always great the way they just sort of shoehorn it in. <laughs> I mean, what were they do? What was J and B doing at the time? They give them a crate. If they, uh-huh. Yeah, I know they that. Yeah, we covered that. But what? How did they just? They were so pervasive. <laughs> like, did they just? I don't know. Were they blackmailing literally every Italian filmmaker? And they, I think I they were being blackmailed. Yeah, word just got around. <laughs> you send them a still from your film with J and B bottles in it. Here, you get a crate. Okay. And then you use those those bottles in the next movie. But they didn't do this to any other films in any other countries? I don't get... What were they doing? And why was it only successful in Italy? And they must have had a big ad campaign or something in Italy. I don't know hmm. if YJ&B. Yes. Yeah. It's not something anyone here will ask for. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, like Canadian Mist and Black Velvet Ooh. had the had the the huge campaigns in the U.S., but they're not great as far as now. Canadian Mist is pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, Canadian Mist and and I don't know about Black Velvet. But I don't think I've ever had Black Velvet. Yeah, their ads were always beautiful women in black velvet dresses. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to know, guys. Mm-hmm. You know you. <laughs> It didn't appear in any movies, though. I guess that's kind of my point. Is yeah, is uh, J and B just kind of got it into yeah, Italy? Yeah, who started that? Yeah, someone should do a documentary about yeah, this. How far back does that go? Yeah, yeah, we need we need a like a two hour documentary about <laughs> how J and B really stuck it into the Italian movies. And you guys, um, and Jolie and I don't I don't think this would have been a thing in England, but. Um, the Canadian Mist uh, Hidden Crates. Yeah. Do you remember this campaign? Have you heard of this, Jolien? <clears throat> they would do a full-page ad in, like, uh, um, 
sportsman magazines or, or you know car magazines different kinds of magazines national geographic yeah national geographic even had them and what they would do they'd have a picture of some place in the world it would either be a snowy place or a lovely beach or the woods and and the one the one in the woods was always great because they refer to bigfoot and they're like uh, you you go to this small town. You ask a person at this counter. They'll they'll tell you that it's this far to the place where you're going to abandon your car and have to hike, and seven miles, and then turn, and this and that, and you will find the buried crate of Canadian mist. And uh, I remembered this a few years ago and, and got real curious about it. Apparently, several of these were never found. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so somewhere and the people who did the campaign you know the people who wrote the copy and sent people out to bury the crates a lot of them are like uh, we have no recollection of where the hell those were like, yeah why would you right so I, I would imagine every once in a while you know somebody is going to stumble across one of these crates it's 12 bottles of some crappy whiskey it's, it's a blended whiskey it's not even not even good whiskey. No, no it's not. Um, <clears throat> but that's not what we're here to talk about. No. Torso. Torso. Manhunt movie. Uh, we got, we're not sure if uh, this guy with the same kind of scarf is the bad guy. Or are we, are we getting a, a red scarf herring here? Oh, yes. There's lots of red herrings. Yes. Lots of men with sinister stares. That Poofy hair. <laughs> <laughs> David Copperfield hair and red scarves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he... Let's see. He he blackmails a street vendor. Um, no, the, the street vendor, uh, this character, um, Gianni Tommaso, who sells the scarves, and yeah. he threatens to blackmail the killer. Right. Because he knows who, who he's sold the scarves to. Right. And then he gets... Uh, crushed by a car <gasps> yes he, yeah he gets crushed for his troubles um, well, actually his, his head gets completely pulped and then the next shot he's fine he's all right <laughs> yeah. there's some blood on it it snaps back into place really easy yeah <laughs> yeah that's kind of where i was wanting to go with this one was the special effects were good and then they bounce back yeah that one that one was a bit dodgy continuity yeah. um yeah it's, it's like someone changed their mind in the middle of shooting that one yeah, we still need the actor to do something, and you no, know, but uh, yeah, they forgot that they'd already had the shot of him being completely smashed against the wall. <laughs> right. It's like if the bumper of a car smashes your head against a rock wall, then you're probably not. Yeah, it should have been edited differently. Yeah, yeah, they should have made us wonder. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, we get we get the weird uh, the weird stalker guy, the impotent stalker guy mm-hmm. um so we've got all He's kinds got an obsession with the doll yeah poking the eyes out of a doll yeah <laughs> you're wondering where are we going with this um but the villa is kind of where it all culminates and uh thankfully they didn't like try to keep going to other locations and doing other crazy things but it we get one of one of the women uh twists her ankle and she's sort of bedridden yeah, she's the hero, so uh, Jane. Yes. Played by Susie Kendall of uh, Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Yes. And she was also in uh, To Sew with Love and Thunderball. She has a small role in there. Thunderball? Yeah. Nice. 
um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we so she's injured. Um, her three friends are like, okay, this is cool and everything, but we're going to medicate you and we're going to head downstairs and hang out. Yep, so they give her a pain pills and champagne. Yes. <laughs> champagne pills? Yes. Yes, it's a lovely combination. Yeah, that, that knocks her out for the night. Yeah. And uh, just like that scene in The Hitcher, <laughs> she wakes up and wanders down and all her friends have been killed and... Mm-hmm. It's just blood everywhere. Was one of them still alive? At yeah, one of them briefly alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I seem to remember yeah, that. Donny. And uh, we've got a delivery guy who's kind of creepy. Yeah, every man in this is creepy. Oh yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> it, it's 1973 Italy. They're Italian. Real forward. Yeah, yeah. They're going to be very forward, but some of them are going to be creepier than others. So we've got the delivery guy from the grocery store who's kind of creepy. We've got the doctor. We're not sure what's up with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got to be one of those two. And it turns out it's this other guy from earlier <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. So we uh, did you guys have it for sure figured out the first time you watched this? Uh, By the time we got to the end? Yeah, because at some point I uh, in all of these, and I love these movies, but at some point I always think to myself, what character haven't we seen in a while? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the killer. And that's usually the killer. <laughs> yeah. It's sad that it works that way, but... Yeah, they disappear for about 15 or 20 yeah. minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, it's usually longer. It's like, wow, I haven't seen that guy in an hour. But they kind of lean on it being Stefano for a while because he's the student who's obsessed with Daniela. Yeah, yeah. yeah. following her around. And he had the scarf. Right, right. And he has a talking parrot, <laughs> which says his name. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stefano. Yeah, Stefano. Uh, um was the uh was the ending satisfying and once we got the actual I mean did you yeah. guys Yeah, you were asking me you couldn't remember what happened. Like how did he how did he fall? Where did he what how did They wrestle one another to the edge of the cliff and then That's what it was. Yeah, they, they go out cuz uh, Jane is watching them and then they they disappear into the dark end of the barn and they end up on the cliff edge. That's right. And uh and then there's like a falling scream and she doesn't know who's died and you have to wait for someone to come back out of the darkness to find mm-hmm. who it is. Right. And then it's like, oh, what a relief. It's the good guy. Yeah. And then everything's all right. And they get in the car and drive home. Drive away. Yeah. So that was, um, that was Torso. Uh, how did you feel about it as far as, uh, as, as far as all the Gialli we've watched? Um, is it a better one for you, Will? Not my favorite, but... I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, I think it's above average. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I feel above average. But yeah, everything was done really well. Yeah, really well shot. A little, you know, a little uh, short of what the trailer promises. Despite figuring out who it is, you know, it was a pretty good mystery. Yeah. You know, and it checked a lot of boxes. You had the, you know, shiny, stabby weapon. Gloves. You got gloves. You got somebody <coughs> watching. You know. Yeah. yeah. Leering. Yeah, there's one scene where there's two people watching. <coughs> mm, yes. What was that? You, you have one scene where there's two people watching. Oh, yeah. One of them is uh, Baylock the Cobbler. <laughs> and then one of them's the killer, and then Baylock gets knocked off. Yeah. So the recommends? Yes, I recommend this. Yeah. I think uh, yeah. I preferred Strip Nude for your killer. Yeah. But just because it was a little more... Stylish. Over the top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
super stylized that one. Yeah. But that was also, you know, five, six years later. So Yeah, they had time to benefit from They had done a lot, you know a lot yeah. since then. Yeah, there was a lot of growing and a lot yeah. to, a lot to benefit from. Yeah, I like this better on the rewatch. Um, mm. you know, I've, I've seen it three or four times now as I say. Um I like how in the, the opening art lecture uh, Franz is given the lecture about uh, um, Perugina and um, he's talking about how it, his depiction of St. Sebastian is uh, indifferent to suffering and he's, <laughs> he's uh, <clears throat> it's about the beautification of suffering and he's an atheist who's painting religion and that doesn't make sense and uh, he's you know there's always stuff about people as objects and then that plays into who the killer is yeah um, so I, I like that that was a good setup. Um, yeah it's, it's good cast I liked how the, uh, the um, you know there's this group of friends is the is at the center of the film and and two of the friends are lesbians but there's no big deal they just yeah they don't mention that they're making any big uh, deal of it you know that they're killed but it's off screen yeah yeah they don't feel a need to lean into it as like a big device. Yeah. It's, it's just matter of fact life stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously you got you know they're the object of the uh, the major titillation scene of the um, the two when the, when the two guys are watching them. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, it definitely um, the movie did work. All the all the parts fit together nicely, and, and as, yeah. you, as you said, for a murder mystery. And the end is pretty <clears throat> creepy. Yeah, yeah. You know, when they're oh, it's when she's uh, my the bit that really chills me is when because she's the best thing in a horror movie is to have the 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 survivor be smart. Mm-hmm. They're doing everything right, and they're doing things. You know, they're braver than you'd be in that situation, or that you'd imagine you'd be. And uh, so she's doing everything right, and she's like worked out she's she puts the newspaper under the door and she can fiddle the key out of the lock and make it fall into the paper she can get hold of the key and there's that beautiful bit where uh, yeah <laughs> should I give that away oh, go ahead, go ahead. Anyway, so, so basically she uh, so she knocks the key out of the hole uh, to where she thinks the newspaper is going to be but it misses yeah and then she's drawing it out and then after a few seconds that you realize the killer's right there and he picks he puts the key oh, on the that is for her. that was so uh, good yeah yeah that was creepy yeah i was trying to remember where i saw that trick first in a movie because as a child i had a we lived in a house that had skeleton key mm. locks and we saw that in a movie, my friend and I, and so we had to, you know, lock each other in my bedroom and try, and try, <laughs> and try to get the key out and knock it onto a paper. Did it work? Oh, yeah. All right. The first time I saw it, definitely, was Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he does it in the talons of Wen Chang. That is really cool. Yeah, there's a there's a, f- a few neat tricks like that you can learn from the movies. Mm-hmm. Well, um... If we don't have anything else about Torso, I guess we could uh, wrap it up, call it a show. Okay. All right. All right. Um, so, yeah, we all give this uh, a recommend, and uh, of course there are better things, but this is a good one. Yeah, this is a pretty <clears throat> good one. I like this one. Awesome. Well, listeners, thank you for listening. Torso. 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 
Torso. It saturates the screen with terror. Torso. Rated R.